it's not unusual for elite tennis players to come into pickleball at the 4.5 or professional level. But in this interview, I talk with Aaron D'Onofrio, who started at the 3.0 level and a few years later became a professional pickleball player. Aaron shares what it took to develop his game since he didn't have a racket sports background. He also discusses how this and his unusual grip can actually be an advantage in the game of pickleball. So let's get to the intro to hear more. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Aaron D'Onofrio. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, Lynn. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad that you could join me today from sunny Southern California. You know, the good thing is, I guess, is that you're not in Texas experiencing those power outages, right? Yeah, all, all of my friends that don't live in SoCal are basically dying right now. And I'm just over here where it's 70 degrees gloating that I can go play pickleball outside. So, All right, then. So I wanted to have you on the show because you are have a interesting i think you all have an interesting perspective pickleball in the game you do play at the professional level and have had some good success but you also don't come from a racket sport background so we'll dive into that in a minute but first tell me a little bit about how you started playing pickleball sure yeah so i started when i was in high school and my uncle who lived in michigan at the time kind of introduced it to my family one Christmas break and my brother, dad, and I all started playing and we just kind of got sold on it immediately. So I started for the first year. I got into a little bit of tournaments playing with my brother and we actually started at the 3-0 level and we worked our way all the way up and <laughs> played every level and it was super fun and it was a great thing to do being involved with my family and getting active because at the time I hadn't been playing any sports for a while. So yeah, it's become a really big part of my life and I can't imagine not playing it now. <laughs> now, who is the best in your family at this point? Oh, it, it depends who you ask. <laughs> if, if you ask my brother, it's him. My dad, it's him. But yeah, my, my, my brother and I were partners for a long time, like I mentioned. He doesn't really compete so much anymore. But then my dad's still playing a bit, and he's at the 4-0 level. So he's my uh, drilling partner if, if I have to, if I get a little desperate. Now, given that you really didn't have a racket sport background, kind of give me one example of something that you might do differently from other pros. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up playing um, baseball and even a little volleyball into high school. So my strokes are terribly ugly. <laughs> and I was never blessed with like a killer forehand drive or exceptional overhead or anything like that, that a lot of people with racket backgrounds have. So I think that I've kind of tried to morph my awkwardness on the court into an asset. Some days it works better than others, but yeah, it's it's always interesting since I you never really know what you're going to get. Now, have you ever considered, you know, going back and trying to get the classic ground strokes and overheads? I haven't. Like I said, I've kind of tried to just 
work with what I have. And of course, everyone's trying to get better and, and address any weaknesses that they have. But I think that there's benefits to having a, a paddle or ratchet background, but there's also benefits to not. So Now, can you think of a, a match even that you were playing at the pro level that you really struggled because of, you know, not having the best of strokes? I think, honestly, I, I actually struggle with other players that don't come from a racket background. I remember a couple times I've played people with, like myself, baseball backgrounds, and it's like I have no clue what they're doing, and they have no clue what I'm doing, but it's always interesting and entertaining. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of enjoy playing people that come from tennis or racket backgrounds because you can sort of see where they're going to hit the ball. But it's really fun now seeing a lot of players adjust, even if they played, you know, collegiate and high-level tennis, and they're starting to do some kind of weird misdirect shots as well. So then maybe are you thinking then that actually what you have with your not as not such a normal stroke that it's really becoming an advantage for you and it's easier for you to do some of the, the misdirects compared to some of the other players? Sometimes, yeah. I have a very different grip than a lot of players. I kind of hold it like a ping pong paddle with my finger up. So I've been told from people that know far more about all the different grips that came from tennis and all that. But because of how I hold it, I can kind of flick my wrist a little more differently. So that's been definitely one of the advantages. But like I said, I think every background and approach has its, has its uh, advantages and disadvantages. Now, when you're, you teach, you know, different clinics, and I, I know you're around Southern California and other places in the country too. When you're teaching, how does it work for helping other students who maybe don't have those really good ground strokes? I mean, how, how can you help them? Yeah, no, I think one of the, one of my favorite parts about teaching is that I did start at the 3.0 level. So I was, it wasn't long ago when I was in their shoes trying to figure out, you know, kind of how to hit a certain shot, whereas a lot of players at the pro level come in at at a 4.5 or 5.0 level. So when it comes to teaching, I love working with beginners, especially if they don't come from a racket background, because sometimes people hit strokes that don't look so pretty, but the results end up being not so bad. So I think that that's, it's definitely always a challenge, but it's one of my favorite parts about teaching. I just wanted to break in here and say, as pickleball players, we want to get better at the sport. And it was in a recent interview with Hella Spar, I realized I didn't even do 10% of what she talked about on the court. So I've signed up for a doubles course, and you may want to consider doing so too. You can get more information by going to pickleballfire.com doubles. And just to let you know, I do make an affiliate commission if you purchase her course, and this helps to support the Pickleball Fire podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. And then let's flip that around, given that your background is, you know, you don't have those traditional ground strokes. Mm -hmm. How do you teach somebody who really wants to have them? Yeah, I think if there's a specific shot, especially if I'm doing a private lesson, then we can really work on that and focus on it. But a lot of what's going on may have to deal with the grip or positioning that you're in. I always think of 
Jeff Warnick, who's a pro player in Southern California, and he's probably six foot six and has the most awkward and horrible looking form of anyone. And I can confidently say that, but he's an incredible player. So, I mean, what Jeff can do would probably be a lot less effective if he were a foot shorter. So I think everyone's situation is really different and unique to them. Now, we were talking earlier, and it sounds like we, you know, in talking with you about kind of some of your goals with pickleball, you know, how is it that you're, I think you think about pickleball a little bit differently than some other professionals. Can you kind of give an example of that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, pickleball started off as a fun hobby that I would just do on the side and it's morphed into a lot more, but at the core of it, I want to keep pickleball as just um, a fun outlet. And I've been so blessed by countless amount of great friendships that I'll have for the rest of my life that wouldn't be around without pickleball. But I don't really have this. I'm not in this to go play for the money every weekend and travel, you know, 50 weeks out of the year to different tournaments. I think that that's kind of different from a lot of the players playing in the pro events. But, you know, I have a lot of respect for those people that can make that work and devote their uh, career and life to the sport. So it's great. And then why, why is it that, I mean, I think, like you said, most people who play at your level, you know, if they can at all possible, they want to do it full time. You know, why, why are you thinking about pickleball differently? What else have you got in the back of your mind that you want to do? Yeah, I'm actually really interested and passionate about public policy and current affairs. So I've worked for a number of elected officials and legislators. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what's driving me in the career path. Of course, I definitely always want to have the flexibility to take off on a, you know, Friday morning and head head out for a tournament over the weekend, which will probably get tougher over time. But when it comes to my career, I'm definitely more focused on government and political events. And then are you still going to college at this point? Yeah, I'm, I am finishing up within the next year. So working on my uh, degree in political science and I have a minor in international relations. So once that is done, I'll have hopefully a little bit more time to dedicate to both pickleball and politics. At this point then, how are you juggling all this? It seems like you've just got a lot of balls up in the air, so to speak. Yeah, I think honestly, while COVID was a tough time for so many, it did give a little bit more freedom in the sense that everything went online. So whether it was via work or school, I could kind of do that on my own time and set my schedule rather than having to show up to courses in person or to an office or whatever it would be. And so I think you can always make time for something that you really want to make time for. And I've done my best, especially for pickleball. I try to play, you know, four or five times a week. And is that how you got so good at pickleball? Well, my it depends on the day on how good I can be at pickleball. But yeah, I've definitely put a lot of time and effort into it. And I think drilling is something that I attribute a lot to any of the successes I've had. But I'm also really fortunate to be in Southern California 
and surrounded by so many pro players and just great athletes that we can play together and push each other. And uh, I know a lot of people aren't as fortunate. So I, I think that that is a huge asset. So give me one example of when you're drilling, you know, give me just, you know, one idea in terms of a drill that you do to really work on your weaknesses in the game. Sure. I mean, when I drill, I like to go and just hit all the basic shots, the drop shot, thinking, midcourt resets, and so on. One of my favorite games actually involves if there's four people and it's called dingles. And you have two balls on the court and you dink cross court. And until somebody misses, whether they hit it in the net or wide or whatever it is, someone shouts dingles and you play with the ball that's still going. And you can, from there on, play, you know, speed the ball up, lob, dink it, whatever. And I think if there's any sort of drill that you can do that's more competitive and games related, that's what keeps my attention. So that's definitely my favorite one. And then, so that one probably, given the fact that at some point in that rally, you've got two balls that help, is that helping to keep your attention? I think so. And I'm such a competitive person that I never want to be the one that that misses and we have to shout out dingles. So I think it's good. And also you're, you're kind of looking at two balls going at the same time. So there's a lot more focus. Yeah. And who wants to call out dingles, right? Yeah. No, well, bad enough we have to say pickleball so now did the did the name of the game kind of deter you from playing the sport initially i will be totally honest i was in high school when i started playing and i was so embarrassed by the name my best friends and the closest people that were in my life then and still are today it probably took me a good year and a half to tell them that i played a sport called pickleball a lot of times i'd be like oh i'm just going to go work out or whatever. So it it was sort of a, a tough pill to swallow, but now it feels like such second nature. I can't imagine a different name. I think we need to embrace the the weirdness and awkwardness of it all. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast before, but my favorite book growing up as a child was Pickles the Fire Cat. So... <laughs> Yeah. And the funny thing was, is that I probably got that book because my uncle was a fireman up in up in Canada. Plus, I love animals and, and cats. And so yeah. when I heard about pickleball, it it never even, you know, there was no deterrent for me. It was like, oh, I have no idea what that is, but I want to check it out. It's a sport. And, you know, I like pickles. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So before you got done with your statement, I was going to ask you, do you think we need to change the name of the game? But it's too late now anyway. I think we just need to to love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great game. So we do. Okay, so any tips for, you know, kind of the person getting involved in pickleball in the sport, especially, you know, given that you didn't have that racket sports background, you know, how how can you help folks out? Yeah, I would say do it as much as you love it. And for most people, they get so hooked on it like I did when I started. But try to compete with yourself rather than others. Everyone's at such different levels. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can only control your progress and how you approach the game. So I think that that mindset helped me a lot. 
And for anyone that's trying to get better, I'm a huge advocate of just going out and drilling with just even just one other friend and, you know, dedicate an hour or two, just hit a thousand cross-court dinks or whatever it is that you want to work on. And I think that's sort of what's helped me along the way. And I would, I swear by it. So is that what you did at some point when you were coming up, you know, learning the game, you were out there hitting, you know, 1000 dinks? Yeah, I think that there was a summer at some point when I was sort of in between four five and five oh and I don't think I did anything that summer except for play pickleball. And I probably played seven days a week for three months straight, whether it was drilling with one other person or playing doubles or singles or whatever it was. And oftentimes we would double dip and go play, grab lunch, play again and it was such a fun time, of course, not sustainable for a lot of people's schedules. But So dedicated? It wasn't. I it, There was nothing I would rather have done um, that whole summer. And there's still days where it's like, I just want to go play pickleball all day. So, yeah, I, I love it so much. So how do you think that's going to work for you with your being involved in politics and not being able to go out and play as much as you want, probably at some point. Yeah. Like I said, I think that you can make time for the things that you want to make time for. So, you know, the people that I have worked with in offices and plan on working with all will know about my involvement in pickleball and that it's such a big part of my life. So, you know, as, as far as I can tell, I'll, I'll always make time for it. All right, then let's go ahead and finish up just with a couple questions today. What pickleball paddle do you use and why do you use it? Yeah, I'm actually on the contracted pro team with Gamma Pickleball. So I use the Gamma Legend, which is one of their most popular paddles. And I love it. I actually just switched to Team Gamma this past summer. And it's an incredible team, a lot of great uh, players as well as the staff we everyone just has really good values and cares and supports each other but going into the paddle it's kind of a basic sized and shaped square head but um, a bit thicker than most paddles so I think it helped me actually a lot when it comes to touch shots like the drop shot or dinking so I highly recommend it to anyone to finish up the interview today if somebody wants to reach out to get a private lesson or to, you know, have you do a clinic, where's the best place to contact you? Yeah, either through Facebook or Instagram. They're both just my name, Aaron D'Onofrio, and I'm on my phone way more than I should be. So I'll likely respond very quickly. Well, all right. It was great having you on the podcast today, Aaron. Oh, thanks so much, Lynn. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.